The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father loves me, so I also love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves, because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends, because I have told you everything I have heard from my father. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. St. Matthias is one of those figures from the early church whose name we know and yet to whom we tend to pay precious little attention. If you ask folks who their favorite apostle is, Matthias doesn't crack the top five. Um, He seems sort of like an afterthought. And yet as we see in our reading from Acts of the Apostles, he is most definitely not an afterthought. We hear from the lips of St. Peter that through King David in the Psalms, this moment of another coming into the 12th spot of the College of Apostles has already been anticipated. The Lord has seen it, and it is intrinsically related to our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so what happens here is not merely an accident of history, but an unfolding of the divine plan. And as Peter speaks, recognizing in the word that this moment has been prepared for, this moment has been anticipated, there will be a betrayer among those who are close, and the betrayer will lose his place to another. Note then that Peter speaks from a position of standing within the will of God. That Peter speaks from a position that what we do now is a part of the will of God for the salvation of the world, and we need to get it right. Another must be welcomed in so that the number, the group of twelve, is complete again. And that in and of itself is instructive. 
Jesus' calling of 12 apostles was never by accident, but it was deliberate. 12, not 11. 12, not 13. 12. And why 12? On the one hand, on the one hand, one could consider it an echo of the 12 tribes of Israel. But this is not an echo. The Lord rather is saying that what was promised to the world through Israel will be fulfilled in the new ministry he now goes forth with. And so the Lord, out of Israel of old, the people of the 12 tribes, ten of which have already disappeared into history. The Lord chooses 12. And in saying so, he is saying, I am not simply building a renewal, but something new, a new people, a new Israel, a new people of God which will embrace the entire world. And I will found that people on 12, not 12 tribes, but 12 witnesses. And now, the issue is not belonging by blood. The issue is the 12 witnesses who will call others not to belong by blood, but belong to blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb that saves us. And so they go forth to preach to the nations the witness to the gospel, a witness that goes beyond Israel to the entire world, as the scriptures themselves also announce. And so Peter says the twelfth place must be filled. But then he says we must be careful how we do it. And again, we see here that there is a standard that those who are apostles are not randomly given this assignment, and it is not something that one applies for. And this cuts against the grain of our modern thinking where we are so ambitious. And so Peter says, among those of us who are here, we need to look. But then he doesn't say, let's find a very effective preacher. And he doesn't say, let's find a talented administrator. And he doesn't say, let's find somebody that everybody gets along with. These are the kind of things we would do. We would say, let's look at the skill set. Let's look at the resume. Let's see if he's qualified. And the church, however, doesn't do that. It doesn't look at those qualifications. Rather, it says the essence of being an apostle is not being a good preacher. The essence of being an apostle is not being a brave man and a bold missionary. The essence of being an apostle is being able to witness completely to Jesus Christ. That is the very essence of the apostolic charism. Those are the ones, that handful, who can witness completely 
to Jesus. And so Peter says, before we look at anything else, he doesn't even say, let's get the holiest guy. He says, let us look first to those who have been with us from the beginning. No latecomers. No somebody who is just integrating with the group, however talented and promising he may be. But somebody who has spent these last three years with us. From the preaching of St. John to this very day. Somebody who has been present for the complete experience of Jesus Christ. That is the fundamentally decisive criterion. How remarkable and beautiful that is, and how simple. Not how talented is he, not how influential is he, not even how holy is he, but have his eyes seen everything, have his ears heard everything. Because the apostles came to understand Jesus trusted the completeness of his teaching to them. And they had to protect that. And that is what they had to pass on to the church. They were not given gifts of healing to pass on. They were not given power to work miracles to pass on. They had those things. But that was at the service of passing on the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so the place of one who had been present for the fullness can only be taken by another who had been present for everything. Then, once we've established who has been here for everything, then we can look at everything else. But note how wonderful that is, that insistence that the apostolic ministry is not a right, not a privilege, not a position that one can aspire to or apply for. It is rather a specific call from heaven to witness to the completeness of Jesus Christ. And in fact, it has the additional element that someone who has been with us from the beginning, who can witness to it all, is the one who must join us to witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And that is the second specific characteristic of the apostolic ministry. The apostles go forth not simply to tell the world what Jesus said, not simply to teach people about the miracles of Jesus or even repeat those miracles. They go into the world to witness to his victory over sin and death. Again, what a remarkably simple focus. And it's this very simplicity and this clarity which gave no small amount of energy and effectiveness to the working of the church. St. Peter kept the group of apostles focused and grounded on the very core of what it is Jesus gave them to do. 
So they didn't go first saying, how do we build a church? They went out announcing the victory. And as people came, they went about the church building. They didn't set out and said, how, what is our financial plan? What is our development plan? They went out and proclaimed Jesus Christ, a person they knew. And their teaching had authority, not because any earthly power gave them authority, but because they could come out and say, this is what we saw with our eyes. And this is what our hands have touched. And our ears heard his voice say those words. We didn't just read them in a book that somebody wrote. And we're not repeating what we heard from somebody else. Because the apostles were those who didn't repeat what they heard from somebody else. They repeat what they heard from Jesus. They don't recount what they saw somebody else do. They recount what they personally witnessed in Jesus Christ. And note how wonderful this is, because St. Peter now understands the world doesn't get to experience Jesus walking down its streets everywhere. Jesus doesn't come to North America, sit on a hill like this one and give the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't go to South America, speak in Spanish to those who are there or earlier to the many tribal dialects. Jesus doesn't go and knock on the doors of the, the penitential faithful. And yet the world knows Jesus because of those apostles, because of those who went out and said, this is what my eyes witnessed. This is what my hands have touched. This was the brokenness and defeat that I felt when he died on his cross. And this is the wonder of touching him and seeing him and hearing him alive again beyond death. And it is this Lord, the Lord who triumphed over death, who sends us out and we witness to him. This can't be the witness of a stranger. This can't be the witness of somebody who didn't see or didn't hear. And so out of all of those who were there, there is only a relative handful who were there for everything. And out of that relative handful, two were seen as fitting candidates. But note how the church does its homework. But having now seen, seen, recognized that we have two, but we don't have the permission to make it 13 because the number is 12. Note how important the number is. But what would we do if we had two guys that were equally good? Why can't we do a baker's dozen of apostles? And we're in the bonus. But there's one place because Jesus only designated 12. And so now the apostles, the believing community, narrows it down 
but they realize we can't choose here. But note, before they draw the lots, they do all of the work. They say, what are the criteria? Who must it be? And if it's only one, so much the better, but it's not. And because it's not, note what St. Peter says. It is you, Lord, who choose. It is you, Lord, who call your apostles, just as you chose us, just as you called us. All we can do is get to the point that we know now we have those who are ready to hear your call. And it's only at that moment that the lots are brought out. The basic and important discernment has been done. And note, there's nobody saying, let's interview the two of them and find out if they really want to do this. Someone must do this. It must be someone like this who has been with us from the beginning. And now that we know who they are, now the Lord must choose who he wants. And so St. Peter doesn't get his preference. The apostles don't have a vote and then say, all right, who, who do you like best? At this point now, they create a space for the will of God to manifest. And so the lot falls on Matthias, which means the call, the election, and the choice of Jesus Christ falls on Matthias to be his witness, to be a witness with authority, to be one of the twelve upon whom this new people of God will be founded. How absolutely wonderful that is. Not chosen at first directly, and yet seen across the centuries already in the plan of God is Matthias. Because another must take the place of the one who fell away. And so it's interesting. On the one hand, Matthias is called after the other 12. And yet on the other hand, he's called at the same time in the mind of God, in the plan of God before the foundation of the world. It's simply later in time that his place is given to him. But he was chosen when the others were chosen. He was chosen to be the one who would fill the throne of the one who would fall away. And he is chosen to go forth into the world with that beautiful witness that we just spoke about and that is summarized in a single sentence from our gospel today. Jesus, on the night of the supper, gives this command to his disciples. Love one another as I have loved you. Note what he doesn't say here? He doesn't say treat others as you would like to have them treat you. He doesn't say love your neighbor as yourself. He says love one another with a very specific love. You love with the love that I 
love you with. In other words, you must first receive, you must first know, you must first experience my love. And as you do that, that is what you will share. That is the gift that you will give. Not some other love, not some worldly love, not some lesser love, but that richness of love that I give to you. Small wonder then that the apostles insist it can only be one who was with us from the beginning, one who has heard the fullness of that love, witnessed the unfolding of that love, experienced directly the many ways that that love of Christ is given, so that rooted within him, he may go forth and live it and share it and communicate it. And in just a few minutes, we'll come forward. And from this altar, because of those apostles, we'll stretch out our hands. And that same love that which Jesus Christ loved them is going to be placed in our hands. And we'll get to receive it here. Our eyes will see. Our hands will touch. Our hearts will be filled as has happened for 2,000 years, because those 12 who saw everything shared it completely and fully. That's why we can gather here today. And when we leave, we who receive the self-giving of Jesus in our hands by the ministry of the apostles are sent forth to do the same thing. This is what the church, this is the only command the church really has. Love one another with the love with which I love you. Go and do that. But to do it, one has to know it. One has to receive it. One has to meet it. Thank God then for Matthias and the other 11, those 12 that Jesus called, that Jesus commissioned, and that Jesus sent. Because while we don't think about him very much, the work of St. Matthias affects us here this very day. Amen.